Well, I think the Ravens are kind of like what we expected, which is not really knowing what to expect. This was a team that had probably the, <laughs> the widest... They're kind of like we expected. I have no idea. <laughs> Hello and welcome to All Four Quarters, your one-stop shop for news, views and overreactions to all things NFL. This week we'll be looking at the news from around the league of week three, taking a look at some of the games, some good, some bad, some others. We've got a couple of questions from you, the listeners, and then we're going to look at the games and make our picks for week four. So hey guys, we've got me, Connor, we've got Harry, hey. and we've also got Fitz. Hello. So lads, what's cracking yourselves? How are we getting on? I don't know, you, you see these sections, they're really quite introspective for me and almost like existentially worrying because you ask that and then I'm always like, I don't know what I've been doing. Am mm. I just coasting through life, just existing? Yeah. Is this is this life though when you do that? Mm. I don't know, I'm finding this, this uh, sort of section of the podcast a little bit disturbing for me. That's good, this is the part where we push the envelope, you know, mm. all the rest of it is just filler. Yeah, this is where the real, sort of, <laughs> yeah, this is the real philosophy section. Like, <laughs> what is life? So while, while Harry's thinking about that, how about yourself running any crack? Yeah, doing well. Um, we have a new person at work, and I am nominally in charge of them, so we'll see how that well that goes. So that means we've got one more listener. <laughs> <laughs> Listen or you're fired. Your first assignment, and only assignment, is to listen to our <laughs> podcast. Oh. He'll be gone in a week. Oh, God. Yeah, make him listen back to them all in order. All four hours of the draft podcast. Pop quiz. Pop quiz on the draft podcast. That's oh, it. God. But yeah, no, similar, similar to yourself, fairly quiet this week. Uh, got a few bits and pieces planned. But uh, as we mentioned before, I've got the All-Ireland final coming up this weekend, or the replay of it. So uh, I'll be locked into the house on Sunday. So I'll not be, not be joining Harry for the games this weekend. I'll, oh, be, yeah. uh, I'll be chatting him online. But uh, yeah, I'll probably watch it from here and just hope that the whole of the town around me isn't raised to the ground <laughs> if Dublin happened to lose. But um, no, it should be good fun. Uh, outside of that, yeah, just quiet enough. I got talking to a fella in the pub on Saturday. We were out for the uh, for the Marcher choice. And um, I was ordering a drink and he was a yank who was confused by some of the bar- beers. And I, So I got talking to him. So he's a uh, big Tennessee fan. So he's living in Tennessee. His wife's a big Tennessee fan. But he had his heart as a Dallas fan because he grew up in Dallas. Uh, so it we good talks with them. It was a fun time. So I think he went into the wool shed to try and find other American football oh, fans on Sunday. But yeah, so I suppose we'll fly into a few bits and pieces here from around the league this week. I suppose one of the main bits of news that we're going to cover off, because we've got a couple of questions in, so we're going to save some of the stuff for questions. The kick return rule seems to be backfiring on them somewhat. We had discussions about this in the, in the uh, off-season about whether this is actually going to have any impact. The general idea is that they want to make it safer uh, by making it less likely that people run out the football. They essentially want to get rid of kickoffs, but they don't want to say they're stopping kickoffs. They just want to make it unlikely that people will continue kickoffs. What this has actually meant is people are now just kicking into the little small dead zone where it's five yards from, from the other person's end zone. So rather than take a knee, the person has to take it out. And uh, it has not worked particularly well. Two kick return fumbles in the Houston and New England game. There was one in the Chiefs game that resulted in a touchdown. Uh, like This does not seem to be having the impact they want of either protection or stopping these things. It just seems to have... People running from a slightly closer distance, getting hit earlier and getting hit harder. Gattel uh, is going to stick to this. So, like, what do you reckon, Harry? Where is this going? Are like, should they just revert back to twenty yards? Should they what? Well, you say you say it isn't working as, as a Pats fan. I think it's working great. <laughs> but this is uh, yeah, it's kind of like the the Bill Belichick fuck you tour. He's like, you know, New England pissed off about everything that's happened. It's like, you know, ah, 
That's a nice new kickoff rule you've got there. It would be a shame if somebody were to make it do the opposite of what you wanted. But, look, to be honest with you, it's actually been exciting. I actually like it. We are seeing more returns. Like, we're seeing teams take chances more. Um, I know it's not what they wanted to do, but it is exciting. I don't think we've seen a necessarily worse spate of injuries than we did with the 20-yard line, so I don't think it's negatively impacted safety, although it certainly hasn't helped it. Mm. But, uh, yeah, no, definitely, definitely backfired. So Goodell's saying he's going to stick to it for the whole season, because initially I think it was like a trial they were going to run for the first four or five weeks and then see where they mm-hmm. were at. Now they've decided they're going to commit. So I'm not sure what they'll do at the end of the year, but it's certainly made that aspect of the game quite fun, uh, even, even more so than it was before. I don't know where... Well, they can't really move it forward, can they? Because that would be too much of an advantage. But they don't, probably don't want to go back to 20 and admit the whole thing has failed. Because then they're back to square one. And they'll be looking for other ways to do it. I think we are looking at a case now where, with this not having worked, a few years down the line, they are going to try and eliminate the kickoff entirely. But until they figure out what to do with onside kicks, I don't know if they're going to be able to do that. And hopefully not, because for all the risk, it is an important part of the game. It is a fun part of the game, and it's an exciting part of the game. Like, there have to be other ways that they can look at to minimise uh, the potential of damage on these without totally taking them away. And surely there's got to be more they can do here than just fiddle with the distance? Yeah, like, it does seem... Uh, yeah, it does seem a bit odd, to be honest. Uh, like, I remember when they were initially fiddling around with this and swapping swapping everything at the first part, like, bringing the kick off closer down so there'd be more touchbacks and all that kind of stuff. And I remember just a lot of questions about, like will they be able to find something that will fit in that perfect little balance? Because you're also going to get the length of kicks that people are able to make and the accuracy which you're going to kick evolve. And there's always going to be a way of breaking a little rule you set up. Like, what about yourself, Ronan? What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, like, I think it's obviously backfiring from the NFL's intended purpose, but I think it's leading to more interesting outcomes. Like, because kickoff returns are relatively under-investigated area, but regulatory in terms of actual tactics as well, compared to the rest of the NFL and the rest of the game plan, which is so meticulously planned in this day and age. It's led to a lot of interesting things. Of course, in the Houston-New England game, we saw some pretty aggressive tackling and the mortar kick gaining traction there, and Bill Belichick actually specifically referencing the great work on special teams. And then in the New England, sorry, in the Green Bay Lions game, in the Green Bay-Detroit game, we saw an interesting uh, use of the rules by Ty Montgomery, where he mm. actually mm. deliberately put his feet out, uh, uh, like out of bounds and touched the ball. And that actually made it seem like that was equivalent to the ball going out of touch on a kickoff, which is a 40-yard penalty. So <laughs> it led to some very interesting kind of tactical moves. Apparently it's a move that Randall Cobb made a few years ago as well, but it's exactly the kind of thing we might see more of when these mortar kicks, which are much more likely to lean left or right since they're in the air longer, could end up doing. So I think anything which adds a little bit of uncertainty or a little bit of like randomness to, to the occasion can be interesting. I think long-term, if they do go away from the kickoff, that will, I think its greatest effect would be on the composition of an NFL roster. Right now, they're beyond the elite players at each position. You have this like substratum of players who are there to do special teams. If you get rid of the kickoff, the value of special teams players obviously goes down greatly. So you would almost see a, like a, very, a huge amount of players being brought in who are specialists again and basically a boon for the type of like the running backs and wide receivers or defensive tackles who don't play special teams, who aren't good on special teams, who are more specialists at what they're good at, which is their position. Yeah, no, of course. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see because I, I do think a lot of people look at it as being a very integral part of the game, that it is something you can... Like special teams is somewhere where you can get big... 
big plays happen that will swing momentum and stuff in games. So I don't think a lot of people are that invested in not having them. But I do think there is a movement from the league to try and find a middle ground where, you know, horrible hits don't happen. And like, because it is, it is quite often in these types of running full speed at each other moments that we see a lot of nasty injuries happen to players. Um, so I suppose we'll see how it goes and if they even try and test out stuff in the preseason next year or or kind of play out a couple of rules, but we'll see how they work on that. Yeah, the one thing that actually I just think is worth noting in this uh, that I think is surprising that the NFL are surprised about because they were like, oh, people won't go down anymore. Like, this has been a situation in, in college, I think, for a while, and you still see players return there. You do wonder why the league thought it would have an intended, the intended effect in an NFL game. That's true. Now, to be fair, though... College players tend to all be fucking idiots because there was that guy two weeks ago who received the ball in his end zone, decided he was going to take a knee, but didn't in fact touch down at all, just threw the ball at the referee and wandered off. Ball was still live, it was picked up by the opposition team and scored for a touchdown. Uh, we'll do an injury round for you guys in a sec. We'll just cover off a few other little bits and pieces from the news. Uh, Josh Gordon, who is hoping to return in two weeks to the Cleveland Browns, uh, had a potential problem coming his way. A warrant was issued for his, rela- for his arrest because he had not provided his DNA for a paternity test. Uh, he has apparently since provided the DNA and the warrant has been rescinded. Uh, what do we think uh, of this? Anything interesting going to come out of it apart from maybe like the start of the next Cromarty franchise? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's anything too too significant here. This is a bit, bit TMZ level. But one thing that was quite funny was that Josh Gordon pretended he hadn't seen it until they issued the arrest, arrest warrant. <laughs> and they were like, no, no, we've been in communication with your lawyers. Like, we've sent you this 20 times. <laughs> it's like, oh, my. Oh, Josh, is this, this, this explains the drug test thing, right? Mm, but, yeah, so hopefully now, hopefully it doesn't actually impact. Like, there's nothing that should cause it to impact because the warrant hasn't stood or anything, so it should be... Uh, Goodell might suspend him for the crack, though. Ah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> why not, why not? Uh only, only after they sign Tom Brady. Uh, <laughs> if you take a man's weed away, he might as well get the ride, you know? That's true, that's true. Uh, Austin's fucking rubber, though, Jesus. Austin Safarian <laughs> Jenkins has uh, been cut. Uh, he got a DUI in Tampa Bay, said, we don't stand for that sort of thing around here. We're a storied and disciplinarian <laughs> franchise who don't have any problems in our history. And he's been claimed by the New York Jets. <laughs> Is he going to make an impact on the Jets? He'd fucking watch after this week. <laughs> Uh, well, the Jets, uh, I think Chan Gailey, who's the offensive coordinator, uh, has generally not been a massive tight end guy. He mostly uses inline tight ends for blocking. And Eric Decker already kind of fulfilled many of the roles that you would consider a receiving tight end to have. But, you know, Jenkins is a very talented player. I'm sure it'll give him a chance. And I, if he's going to make an impact, it will probably be in the red zone. Uh, and with Decker already there, and, and Brandon Marshall also being a very physical receiver, it can't harm to have another player who hit people on that kind of tall, lanky, strong yeah. player. Because so far uh, that type of player has worked really well in the red zone. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, against you guys, no. But in most in nah. the other two games, it's worked pretty That's well. That's true. Uh, Oakland have released Reese. Uh, he was on a three-week suspension and they decided they don't want him back. Is this just there's too many bodies there, seeing as we've seen lots and lots of players come out of the backfield for them and, and produce? Or... Well, it's, it's a money and an age issue. And obviously, Reese is a bit of a beloved beloved player in, in mm. Oakland uh, from the franchise. But uh, Jameis Olawale is younger and is cheaper and hasn't been suspended for PEDs. So... And he was so hot in the waiver wire two weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, I, 
<laughs> don't, even, don't even talk about fantasy football. Everyone's an idiot. Uh, so yeah, like it, it makes sense for the Raiders. It's a shame. Um, we are, you know, I think there was a lot of talk about the complete death of fullbacks a couple of seasons ago. I think it's still the case they're a lot less significant than they used to be, but we do see a lot of teams still using them. Reese has enough of a uh, reputation and also has a bit more versatility than a lot of fullbacks, so I'd say we'll see him probably catch on somewhere. Hmm. But uh, yeah, just to, to see, you know, it's always a shame to see a guy who's just, just sort of a fan favourite, hmm. uh, particularly one from an obscure position, leave leave a team. But for the Raiders, it, it made sense with the way all the while he was developing. No, of course, of course. Uh, we saw Anthony Davis from San Francisco, their tackle, retire again. Uh, decided once was not enough. He wanted to get a second farewell card and another gold watch. Uh, what do you reckon about this there, Fitz? Like, yeah, apparently he suffered a concussion in week two and he sent out, while not a very informative tweet, one which basically referred to kind of body and mind. I think time and mind is the things that he referred to. Yeah. If you lose them, you can't get them back. So, you know, I think it's just one of those ones where the health issue is kind of covering for the fact that he ended up losing his right tackle spot uh, in training camp and it's basically just been acting as their backup swing tackle. So I think this is kind of um, probably a money slash health issue where it's not really worth him, worth for, worth him continuing on at this point. Yeah, no, fair enough. Do you reckon, it, like, he was kind of their backup, but it's not really going to make much of a difference because their team's still not going to do much even if they lose offensive linemen. Like, <laughs> right? On our favourite cunt bag, Greg Hardy, uh, he's been arrested for possession. That'll teach him for being such a stain on humanity's underwear. Gotta love karma sometimes. Whatever you think about drug laws, whatever you think about whatever, you sometimes just gotta love a nice, hot slice of karma. Ronan has no thoughts. He loves Greg Hardy. (laughs) Fitz loves Greg Hardy. He's just sad by this. It's, it's the end of Greg Hardy, basically. Any chance of someone picking you up is now nah, pretty much dead in the water. So that's pretty much... We won't have to talk about him anymore, probably. Excellent. Now we're going to run through just a couple of the injuries and stuff that came. Uh, updates to ones we talked about already. Peterson's uh, meniscus issue turned out to need surgery, so he's going to be out for two to three months. They reckon they can have him back for a run at the end of the season slash playoffs. That is hopeful at best, I'd say, as an outcome. Uh, but as we'll discuss later on, they might not need him. Uh, Detroit have also had some bad news about their running back. Abdullah is gone to IR. He's likely gone for the whole season. Uh, he was starting to look quite good for them, to be honest, which is a bit of a loss. Uh, uh, some of this will be rolled into the game section. Seattle, uh, Wilson has gone. He's got an MCL sprain. They were getting it uh, scanned today. Uncertain for next week. He'll probably play if he can. Rawls has a hairline fracture, so he's not expected to play for the next couple of weeks. Four or five is the outside estimate I've heard. How does this impact yourselves, Fitz? I think... Wilson obviously impacts more than Rawls. Yeah, like, if Wilson can't play against a very, you know, a relatively effective New York, New York Jets uh, front, then you imagine that Trevon Boykin, who's an undrafted free agent, will probably struggle. I think Wilson is crazy and, like, went out after suffering his injury in the first place. So if he can play, he will play. Get those nanobubbles ready. Oh, yeah, of course. Washington, uh, the Mzungus, they have had a couple of injuries to what was already a weak uh, backfield. We'll discuss it more in their game, but it looks like Hall is gone for the season with a torn ACL. And uh, Brashad Breeland also had to leave that game, which means uh, God knows who. They're just, they're just going to leave Josh Norman on his own there <laughs> and uh, watch as he doesn't follow any receiver. He just stands there looking confused. 
Um, Cleveland, uh, just to compound sadness, Corey Coleman, broken hand, four to six weeks. Uh, it's not really going to impact them because they've just got one player who's going to play every single position, but we'll discuss that later. <laughs> Minnesota, left tackle, Khalil has gone to IR. He is, again, potential to come back, I think, at the end of the season, but will be questionable. Uh, he's having a bit of surgery and stuff done. Uh, is this a big knock on them? This is this is a couple of injuries piling up if we think they've already lost their starting quarterback, their starting running back, and their starting left tackle. Like Normally, this would be crippling for a team. Yeah, but defense wins championships, right? <laughs> so I've found in none of my fantasy football leagues. Um, Dallas Cowboys, Lyle Collins has out for six to ten weeks with a torn foot ligament. Uh, is this going to make a big impact, Harry? Uh, it's a loss. He's a talented player, but like we've seen that O-line is, is good enough to compensate for losing one player. They've got a lot of uh, depth there, so I think they're going to be okay, although it'll be interesting to see uh, the effect it has, particularly on the running game, where Collins is an extremely good blocker. Yeah, no, of course. Uh, San Diego, the uh, the curse continues. Uh, Mate Teo's torn his Achilles. He's likely out for the season. This is yet another non-contact injury that's happened to a starter for San Diego. I know we've got a question in from one of our listeners about this. We'll probably get to it uh, next week or maybe the week after. Because I swear to Christ, if this happens next week as well, then it is a full-on, like locked in curse it's just probably because they were complete dicks to the town they play in but like <laughs> this is it's it's a big loss for them Teo's a captain of the team uh, but to be honest I, I, I think it's no bigger a loss than maybe the last two non-contacting out for inju- season injuries they've had so far this season well it was on the defence so it's different I guess mm, that's true but uh, yeah definitely definitely a concern for <laughs> San Diego at this point but uh, they're dropping like flies. Yeah, it's not it's it's not really a great uh, not really a great one uh, for them. New York Giants, uh, Vareed is out for the season with a tricep injury, which is now going to require surgery. What's the impact of this going to be, uh, Ronan? Well, Rashad Jennings is back, and he was planned to be the workhorse, so probably not a massive amount. It will affect their depth, and particularly in third downs. But like Vareed, he didn't look very effective in he hasn't looked very effective in his two seasons in New York with the Giants. So I don't have much of an impact on that. They'll probably try busy back onto the carousel with the running backs again this season with Reen out. But maybe Shit Jennings can fill that gap without getting injured from now on. No, fair enough. And the only other one we're going to talk about is uh, Warmack gone to IR for Tennessee. Do you know what does matter? Tennessee suck balls. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, I mean, it's just a shame that it didn't happen to the more objectionable linemen. Yeah, Not that I wish injury on anyone, but I actually do wish injury on Taylor Lewan. He's a dick. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. And uh, with that, we're going to go to our review of some of the games from last week. Right, so the first game we're going to look at, we got two, uh, two, two and two this week. Two in the Ring of Honor, two in the Neutral Zone, two in the Dumpster Fire. Our first one is Washington at the New York Giants, 29-27. to This is a very sloppy, yet a very close game. Uh, they had three fumbles each, two interceptions for Manning. Uh, fourth quarter collapse from the Giants, uh, and Odell Beckham lost a fist fight with a kicking net, <laughs> which has prompted some of the my favourite GIFs and, and memes I've seen on the internet in a very long time. Uh, as I mentioned in the earlier section, Brashaw Breland and D'Angelo Hall both got injured in this game. Hall's out for the season, waiting on confirmation on Breland. This is already a very poor backfield, so this is not going to help them. The, the top uh, top quarterback in this game was uh, the Washington punter, Tress Way, who went one for one for 31 yards uh, and 118.8 rating. Uh, this was 
you know, obviously an important game because it's in division, but it was a messy game and one that could have gone either way. Can we now, Harry, relax on this Giants hype train that's been pumping for the last three weeks? What was there? A Giants oh, hype all, train? All <laughs> over the internet. Um, I thought the Giants looked pretty inconsistent. Um, no, like... No, it was a uh, decent display in some ways from them, but it was sort of a very, again, a very sort of hectic game. The Giants don't seem to be... They have entertaining games... They have fun games. They have games you want to talk about. They have games you put in the Ring of Honor because they're close and they're exciting and there are great plays made, but they can't control games. Um, We saw it against New Orleans. We saw it again this week. We saw it even against Dallas. They struggled to take a game by the scruff of the neck, even where they are clearly a better team. And in this case, they had so many opportunities to kill this off, so many opportunities to make this count, and they messed them up, failed to win a game that they should have won. And this is... I think now, I think a consistent problem after seeing this for three three games, even though they've won two of them, these were games that should not have been as close as they were, and they should have won comfortably, instead of scrapping for a very long time, and in the case of last week, winning on, on a last second field goal. So yeah, I definitely think that while there's certainly been hype around individual Giants players, you look at the likes of Sterling Shepard, for example, um, the way he's been playing Jason Pierre-Paul, looking back to form... Like, Eli isn't playing particularly well. The team is always going to struggle where Eli isn't playing well. The running game is, much like last season, still a complete mess. And although we're seeing big improvements on the, in the defensive front and also on the offensive line compared to last year, and that's still not much of a... You know, they're working from a pretty low base there. So, does this team... Could this team win the division? Absolutely. The division's a mess in general. Now, we'll talk about Philly later, but we don't know how long that's going to maintain for. So, yeah, they're not out of contention. It doesn't start looking too bad. Yeah, well, that's just true. That's true, but you know, tiebreakers and all that. Yeah. So it's it's gonna be another messy division, I think. But so I wouldn't write them off. But this does not look like a team is uh, likely to go to the playoffs. It does not look like a team that could go far in the playoffs unless they learn how to close out close games, how to basically run the clock and make things count. Now that said, they're gonna go eight and eight and win the fucking Super Bowl because that's what they do. Yeah. Well, it depends on how well your guys do this year. <laughs> If you, go, if, you, if you guys go 6-0, they're definitely coming in to win the Super Bowl. Like. Um, <clears throat> Fitz, Kirk Cousins, obviously he's been in the news quite a bit. He's got a big contract and has not been performing. He didn't perform particularly well here either. Like, what's, what's the plan long-term for the for the Mazungus here? Like, do they have to look at other people? Do they have to look at long-term what they're going to do after after Kirk Cousins? Or, or do they ride this out and see if they can get it turned around? Well, the problem is that he, he's, he's looked... Not great, but he hasn't looked completely out of his depth. He's missed a few throws, but on other times he's managed to put out like some decent production. And he has plenty of talent around him, and there's really no reason that he should be doing badly. The problem is, is that when you look at the rest of the team, it's not that good. The defense is more or less trash. Josh Norman is pretty good. Otherwise, there's not really much to get excited about. The run game is effectively non-existent. Matt Jones continues to exist for reasons unknown, and then they're currently bringing in a rookie, doesn't look particularly good, Chris Thompson is a below average turn down back. So, like, he's got lots of really good wide receivers, and the offensive line is average, so it's like, maybe he should be able to do stuff, but the problem is, I think this is very much a return to average, a return to what we think and always thought um, Cousins was, which is he's a league average quarterback, he's quite a quarterback that you don't really want to have, because he's not really going to be the basis on which you get to Super Bowls and win championships, but he's not so bad that you aren't afraid that you'll end up in the Gabbard zone or perhaps even like with someone like Fitzmagic as your franchise savior. So I think it's a tough place uh, for Scott McLaren, their GM, and I think they made the right decision 
uh, by putting him on the uh, by giving him the tag. So I think for them it, it's tough, but I think at least they're not tied to him, and at least they can they can they can get out of this if he doesn't turn it around. I don't think personally he'll turn it around, and I think he'll just have an average season. And I think that'll be enough for him to secure, you know, backup jobs or marginal starting jobs for a few years. But I don't think Kirk Cousins is a is a championship caliber quarterback, and he's not the future franchise quarterback of any team in the NFL. No, no, that's fair enough. But yeah, like this is this is them showing that neither of these teams deserve to fully be where they would be otherwise. They all need to be sitting around like. These are all kind of somewhere between five and eight win teams in my head. Maybe if they pull it together, they could get to nine. But I don't see either of these teams being like, you know, a success at the tail end of this season. Uh, but it was an exciting game. So we'll give them that because normally we have to complain about how shite it is when this division is on the uh, is on TV all the time. Uh, the other game we're going to look at in the Ring of Honor this week is Minnesota at Carolina, uh, 22 to 10. Uh, lads, it was said before and we'll say it again. This Minnesota defense is absolutely something else because <laughs> at two hundred like eleven yards of offense, it's certainly not the fucking offense that's getting them going places. Uh, they hit Cam eight times for a negative sixty four yards and intercepted him three times. Uh, held their top receiver to forty to sixty four yards and forty seven yards for their top rusher. Kevin Benjamin and Devin Funches got no catches in this game. Full stop. Uh, like th- this shows you how good the Minnesota defense was versus. Carolina and just being a bend or break kind of thing. Like at halftime, Carolina had two hundred and five yards of offense, and Minnesota had thirty four yards of offense, and Carolina were only up ten to eight. Like that boggles the mind when you think about that. Like it's as comprehensive a defense as I've seen, and I've obviously I've been a Chiefs fan for many years. I've seen lots of very good defenses with lackluster offenses, and this like this gets me ragingly hard. Uh, <laughs> This is, I'm coming to you first on this, Fitz. Carolina's first home loss since November 2014. Uh, they're now 1-2, and, and they are tied for second place in their division. Is it time to start getting worried that their system's not working anymore? Well, they've lost to two 3-0 teams, so I think you can give them a bit of slack on that. Probably two of the teams which are best designed to minimise their strengths and expose their weaknesses, which is the fact that while Cam Newton is an amazing athlete, He's amazing outside the pocket. His arm is, a, is absolutely phenomenal. It's a fact that Cam Newton, under pressure, is not the same player. If you can get consistent pressure on Cam Newton, he makes mistakes because he's the kind of player who can usually get away with it and therefore perhaps hasn't had to develop the same kind of poise and pocket awareness of a player like Tom Brady or Peyton Manning in his, in his prime. He's a different type of player. It, you, it, oftentimes it works, and oftentimes it works to spectacular effect, as we saw last season. But in this case, the Minnesota defense, absolutely phenomenal. Like, uh, I'm sure Harry, Harry talked about it last week, and we, we've talked about it before. The front is absolute, like, so much talent with Kendricks and, and all those kind of players, and Limbaugh Joseph and Anthony Barr, and that, that, basically that front seven is amazing. But I think well, one thing that stood out in this game was that the secondary is also showing a lot of, a lot of promise there. When you look at players like Newman, and, who's obviously an experienced player, and continues to basically... Uh, contravene the you know law of time. Even when players like Darrell Rivas are starting to see massive drop-offs as they age, and then you see young physical corners like Xavier Rhodes like make mincemeat of Kelvin Benjamin, who's obviously a very talented player. Yeah. So I suppose then Harry and yourself, like Minnesota, are an ascendancy here. But this is this is a team based entirely on defense. This offense, 
as much as people say, oh, what a great trade to get in their their replacement quarterback. They're fine without uh, with without Adrian Peterson. Like this is not an offense that's going to be able to to hold the line if other people start to score on them. Like, how far do you think this defense can take them? Well. It's it's always hard to tell. Um, it, I don't like. I don't think they're a Super Bowl team. I don't think the offense is good enough. Although I said about Denver last season, so <laughs> put as much value on that as you want to. But uh, yeah, no, I don't think Bradford's the answer. But I think he's been able to do what they needed him to do. He's been solid. He hasn't turned the ball over. Uh, he's been able to move the chains. Sometimes not particularly effectively. For example, as we saw in the first half this season. But the defense is good enough to bail them out. It's a team that could definitely win the division at this point. Like we've seen, Green Bay. Seem to be playing slightly within themselves, though obviously a very impressive performance this week, so we'll see if they can keep that up. Uh, Chicago are a absolute dumpster fire at the moment, and Detroit is still Detroit. So there's a huge opportunity here for Minnesota to take this. If they can keep up this form, they could be looking to you know compete for a first round bye potentially, uh, because they do look like one of the teams to one of the teams to beat, not just uh, in the uh, in their conference, but in the entire league. Now. Are they going to lose games? Are they going to drop games because the offense can't get it done? Yes, absolutely. But as long as this defense can keep playing like that, you're looking at a 10-11, maybe even 12-win team, uh, depending on, on how well teams are able to adapt to them. Because like this is the weird thing about Minnesota's defense. Like Last season, they were also very good, but they were very quiet about it. And I think this season now, because of the offensive struggles, we're starting to get a real glimpse of just how talented... Uh, this defense was, and although they got some recognition, I think we're starting to see this isn't just merely a quietly good defense, but is actually one of the premier defenses in the NFL, and they played a perfect game plan against Carolina, as Ronan has already. So, yeah, um, they're definitely, I think they're definitely a playoff contender. I don't think their offense is good enough to get them that deep into the playoffs. And I think one X factor is Mike Zimmer is showing what an excellent head coach he is. I think he's turned that team around since he showed up in Minnesota, and it's a credit to him that the team is looking as well as it is, despite all the setbacks that they've had. Like the the big one, especially when we're saying there's this much on their defense, is to remember this is three weeks of them having like it's not like they had this this replacement quarterback for the off season. They've had him for three weeks. They've had a week to game plan, not having their main running back in there. Like this is an offense that is currently adapting. So if they can manage to get something even a little bit more clicking on there, this could be a very scary team to be coming up against later on the season. Which uh, I really hope we don't end up doing. But, uh, <laughs> we're going to move on to some of the games in the neutral zone now. Okay, so now we're back in the neutral zone. Uh, we've got two games to look at here. So the first one we'll look at is uh, Pittsburgh at Philadelphia. Now we all called this one entirely wrong last week. Uh, hands up. <laughs> Philly came out strong and knock off what was a, like an early Super Bowl contender. Let's be honest, from the way everything was looking, like I suppose the obvious question is: Have we been have we been sleeping on the Eagles in general? Have we just been kind of underrating them? Because I think it's, they played their first two games against dog shit teams, uh, so we kind of thought this is where we'd get a good feel for where they actually stood, and they stood up well. Their defense looked good. Their offense looked good with kind of minimum mistakes. Uh, this young fella looked good, and we'll have a talk about him in a bit. Antonio Bryan performed on the night, got 140 yards with no touchdowns. But like, it very much looks like this is Steelers team needs to find more variety in how it plays. Uh, they sacked Ben four times. They got eight QB hits. They shut down the fourth quarter entirely with no scores. Um, like, I suppose Fitz, when we look at Carson Wentz, like how good is he, and what do you think the ceiling on him and him and this team are going to be? It's it's tough to say, but all indications seem to be that you know a lot of teams are going to be unhappy. The LA Rams are going to be unhappy. The Cleveland Browns are going to be unhappy. But 
Eagles Nation is very, very happy and uh, couldn't happen to nicer people. But, like, legitimately, Carson Wentz... Fuck you, Santa Claus! (laughs) (laughs) Legitimately, Carson Wentz looks like a really, really good player. He's got a lot of... He's he's like, he's got... It's kind of like a Ben Roethlisberger type thing, and I think that's the comp that he's getting most, in the sense that he has this improvisational skill to extend the play and to make things happen, uh, even when they look like they're breaking down. So... I think the most uh, pointed one of that was the Darren Sproles 70-yard touchdown where he kept extending the play, saw Darren Sproles down the field, and then let Darren Sproles do his open field Darren Sproles thing. So I think like when you look at Carson Wentz, you're looking at a player who has uh, kind of the upper ceiling. He could be an elite player, and all the indications are that he has enough talent around him this year to actually do that. I think Doug Pedersen has had a great effect. He's obviously a former quarterback, uh, I believe. And he has the right people in his ear to kind of guide him along. I think he's basically fallen into the right position. The one knock on him is the knocks that he's getting. In the first three weeks, he continuously allowed himself, uh, in one way or the other, to get hit. So you have to have a bit of fear that he might go down that Ben Rollsberger route, or in the worst-case scenario, the Orchard Tree route, where he's going to end up getting himself hurt and attenuating his potential by you know accumulating these kind of injuries. So like besides that, I think... The Eagles uh, and Philadelphia have to be very excited about this player, and I think he's the kind of player that not only is he effective, but he's exciting, and he's going to energize the entire team, and he can push them on to what could be the surprise package of this season. Is he the next coming of Tom Brady's Tom Brady slash Peyton Manning slash Ben Roethlisberger slash Joe Montana? Possibly not, but certainly there's enough there to indicate that he should be a good quarterback at least for the upcoming season nobody ever wants nobody ever wants the next coming of Ben Roethlisberger <laughs> oh god <laughs> oh my but yeah no he definitely he's, he's allegedly started out strong and like looks looks to be a good player so we'll see how they progress I'd, I'd definitely be putting them favourites to win this division at this point but uh, we'll see how that goes Pittsburgh came out after the game and said they were out coached out played out everything uh, they were not very happy so the question for you guys is this showing us how to deal with that team with Pittsburgh or is it merely a bump in the road especially given we've got Lev Bell back next week and stuff as well um, yeah uh, to an extent I mean in the sense that having a really 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 good front seven and by the way uh, sorry <coughs> what's wrong with my throat today yeah in the sense of having like a, a really strong front seven playing really well is a way to deal with most teams including Pittsburgh yes absolutely um, the lack of time and space they gave Roethlisberger was, was remarkable and I, it's difficult to remember uh, him being as as hurried as he was because normally you know, Roethlisberger rolls around he extends plays he gets away from people he really struggled to do that today for a lot of the game and I think that made a really really big difference uh, obviously the run game was shut down as well and uh, really strong play there uh, from Philadelphia made it very 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 difficult for Pittsburgh to establish themselves other than Antonio Brown all of their receivers had quite a poor game um, so I will say get yeah, credit to Philly for doing that and I think as much as credit as uh, as uh, Carson Wentz is getting, uh, the new DC Schwartz should also be getting quite a lot of praise there. But for Pittsburgh, it's 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 uh, something that shows the areas they need to work on. They can't constantly just rely on shoddy offensive line play being bailed out by brilliance from either Roethlisberger or Williams or Bell when he comes back. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely a cause for concern in that regard. On the other hand, we have seen over the last few seasons that Pittsburgh are a team that just throw up games like this every now and again. Yeah. They did the same thing against the Jets last year where they just played terribly for absolutely no conceivable reason after a really good game and then came back the next week and had a great game again so it'll be interesting to see how they rebound from this bell will certainly help but i certainly wouldn't be you know saying well this show pittsburgh have been exposed 
I think it's shown that Pittsburgh can be incredibly inconsistent and can struggle against a good defense, but I think we already knew that. So not too, uh, not too worried about them being outcoached and outplayed too regularly, but if we see this kind of thing happening again, if we see teams being like, right, well, we can copy that model and then copying it successfully, then yes, then it is time for Pittsburgh mm. to be a little bit worried and maybe look at changing up how they do things. Yeah, so we'll have to see how that goes. But uh, overall, like you're saying there on the on the run game, like they had 29 yards of rushing with the Steelers. Although, like some of that's going to be they're playing from, from quite significantly behind for a lot of this game. But uh, but yeah, like just it's they they weren't able to impose themselves at all. Uh, so we'll, we'll all put our hands up and say I think we are all a little bit underrating on this on this Eagles team. We kind of didn't give it as as, as enough juice we maybe should have up until now, but we'll definitely give them a bit more focus. Oh, yeah, we've, well, we've been writing off this team since the preseason, and we've been mm. wow, badly wrong. Oh, uh, of course. Watch them lose next week now. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So the next one in the uh, in the uh, neutral zone is the Monday night football game Atlanta at New Orleans, forty five to forty five to thirty two. Explosive and ridiculous. Nine hundred and sixteen yards of offense. Thirty one points in one quarter. That is a hell of a fucking stat. I've seen many games that don't have 31 points in them, let alone one with it in a quarter. Uh, Freeman and Coleman kind of combined for a monster kind of run attack here. Freeman, 152 rushing yards, 55 reception yards for, for a touchdown. Devin Coleman, on his rushing, had 12 rushes for 42 yards, but three fucking touchdowns. Uh, these are two teams that sure as shit can't play defense. <laughs> uh, big chunk plays from both sides. Uh, like, interception for, for a pick six. A special... Teams error earlier early on, basically setting up the first, the first TD. Like it was just. I think you should describe that special teams error because that was amazing. The special teams error was a gentleman went to take the was it a kickoff or a punt? It was a kickoff, was it? it was um, kickoff after a score? Or was it no? It was a punt. Uh, went 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 to take the punt. His colleague uh, was mildly confused and <laughs> ran into him. Causing him to drop the ball on the floor. Actually, he never, even if you notice, he never actually called a fair catch. And before he caught the ball, he was cleaned out by his own blocker. <laughs> who just, like, tackled him. There's no other word for it. The ball then went, bounced off their legs, meaning it was touched by a New Orleans player, where mm. it was recovered by it. Oh, it was amazing. Oh, something else now. Just, oh, But yeah, like, this was, this was a crazy game. Uh, bit of fun to watch, like... It's not a game for the purists, let's be honest. Uh, it's not got fundamentals. It's, it's, a, not game, got, it's a game for the Madden fans. Uh, although there is like there is good shows of like establishing the run and stuff. But, uh, but yeah, so I suppose this is going to be more a reflection on where both these teams are after this game. Uh, I'll come to you first on this, Ronan. Saints are at 0-3. What would your plan be looking at the rest of the season? Bear in mind, like, so I think over your next eight or nine games, you've got... Chargers, Panthers, Chiefs, Seahawks, Broncos, Panthers again, and Rams. Those are some brutal fucking defenses coming in to hit at you. How would you How would you look to reassess after the first three weeks went this way? Well, as the oft-used statistic in the last weekend or so, teams who have started 0-3 have a 0% conversion rate into the playoffs. I think it was like 69, of the last 69 teams that have gone 0-3 anyway, yes. none of them have made the playoffs. The problem is, is that, as we've discussed many times in the past, over the last year or so, this is not a team that really has a long-term future. This is a team that has a limited window, with Drew Brees continuing to get older, even though he's extended out now. Uh, he got extended out for a few more years. This isn't a team that you're going, okay, we can build up from youth. There's a lot of hope here, a lot of pieces here. Now, on the offense, there is a bit of hope. Michael Thomas looks good. 
Uh, Brandon Coleman looks okay. Uh, Kobe Fleener actually managed to come into this play, and then Brandon Cooks has, has been a decent player for them. But overall, you're not looking at this offense and going, oh, this is a young offense that has a chance to, to really uh, come together. The problem is the defense really, 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 really sucks and is riddled with older players who are coming towards the end of their career, whether it's Harper or whether it's Jairus Byard. Jairus Byard. Byard. uh, No, you you don't know the thing he's talking about. Oh. Uh, Then they signed Laurinaitis in the offseason. They signed Nick Fairley in the offseason. Like, they signed Paul Kruger in the offseason. It's a stopgap defense that isn't filling gaps, isn't (laughs) stopping passes, isn't stopping anything. The only difference between this year's defense and last year's defense is, A, like Rob Ryan isn't there anymore, so it's less ugly, just from a pure physical point of view. Low blow. But B, most of these yards are coming from passes rather than defensive penalty flags. So I suppose that's one difference. Less flags, more yards. Don't know if that would win you games. Don't know if you'd win you election, but certainly... Yeah, I don't know. Like, they have to sort out this defense, do something to try and shore it up, because the offense is still good. The offense still gives them a shot, but they've lost a lot of close games already. And with that, like, you know, pretty bad schedule coming up, I don't think they're going to come out of this tailspin mm. anytime soon. Fair enough, fair enough. I can't believe, given how terrible their defense was last year, you had to go to Rob Ryan's looks to try and find something to make fun of there. Like, it's shocking, really. Yeah, bear in mind, this is, this is like a team that's also down four or five starting cornerbacks. <laughs> like, Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah. But the plus side is that no one knew who the names of their starting cornerbacks were because they were that bad. I, I did. You told me one of them last week. Oh, but yeah. I didn't know who he was. <laughs> None of us knew who he was. DJ Williams. Yeah. That's fair. Dolvin Bro, in fairness. But yeah. that's, again, I don't know his name for good reasons. Yeah. I'll give you similar questions. So, because he's, you know, same, same kind of spot. Similar for Atlanta. They're now 2-1 and one leading the division. Uh, they've got a murderer's row coming up as well. Again, next six, seven weeks. Panthers, Broncos, Seahawks, Chargers, Green Bay, and Chiefs. Atlanta are a team that have taken early leads and have shat the bed repeatedly. Like, what would you like to see them amend to, to, to try and keep themselves going over the next couple of weeks? Well, actually, to be honest with you, I think that this game showed amendments from before. Um, this was a game where, like, the team had, uh, had you know, over, what, nearly 500, if, if not over 500 yards of offense. And Julio Jones had, what, one catch? Like, they were actually able, now admittedly against a poor defense, but they were able to utilize so many of their weapons. And I think this was a week where, despite the fact that, yeah, they beat a not very good team, Atlanta showed that they're developing a bit of versatility in an offense that has previously been extremely predictable and based around just forcing the ball to Julio Jones. Now we're seeing more involvement from the other wide receivers, we're seeing more involvement from uh, the tight ends, and we're seeing great things from both running backs in the in the passing game as well as in the running game. So... Coming out of this week, obviously, I mean, I'd fire the entire defense bar Desmond Trufant would be the change I would make. But in terms of working with what they have, I think they showed a real versatility to the team doing something new. So I'm like, this is positive. If Atlanta can surprise teams, can throw something different different at them, can stop being so turgid and predictable on offense, they're going to be much, much better than we thought they could be. And they're going to be much more successful than we thought they could be now. Their schedule is brutal. So who knows? There's probably a cap on that success. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, coming out of this, I'd be, I'd be very, very happy if I was the Atlanta coaching staff with the way the team attacked, with the offense, the run game, the pass game. The defense remains a concern, but, look, 
there's only so much you can really do with that. It is still concerning that, that a guy who was hired as a defensive head coach, defensive minded head coach, can't get this defense firing when they do have very talented pieces. This is the kind of game Atlanta are going to have to play because they're playing tough teams. They're going to have to find a way to move the ball on them like they did on the Saints. No, fair enough. That brings us to our dumpster fireside chats. We're going to fly through these ones because we're running a little bit late on time here. Uh, Cleveland at Miami, 24-30 to 30 in overtime. This game should have been over about two hours before it was. The Browns were alternating snaps. Not series, snaps at quarterback. Pryor played as a quarterback, a running back, a wide receiver and a safety in this game. Uh, Parkey missed three field goals, although uh, the, the coaching staff at Clinton said they're not going to blame him because he only joined them on the Saturday. Cleveland had 279 yards passing, 169 yards rushing, two-point conversion, a defensive touchdown, and missed the winning kick in the fourth quarter, post-winning a turnover with like 30 seconds left, and then lost in overtime. It's the most Browns way to lose. Finns look terrible, completely mistake-ridden. Both of these teams are garbage. Um, Harry, quickly, is there any takes other than both these teams are awful? Yes, I have an interesting take about Cleveland's Moneyball approach, which you can see isn't working because <laughs> it isn't working. Uh, apparently, the staff didn't want Cody Parkey. The coaching staff, Hugh Jackson, wanted to pick up Robbie Gould. Yeah. And the management went, no, 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 no. Here's our spreadsheets. We're taking Cody Parkey. It's a, it's a kicker. If you can't, like, oh. Moneyball a kicker, what is this? Come on, Sashi. <laughs> Um, yeah, like in fairness, Terrell Pryor, like wow, what an oh. athlete, what a player! Like if he was on a good team, he could be such a weapon. Oh yeah, um, he's like he is. This is what Denard Robinson was meant to be. This is what Tavon Austin <laughs> was meant to be. That's it. Like, Terrell Pryor is those people, but he's playing on a trash team with a trash quarterback with a trash mm. defense. Even so, even even Sue came out after the match. Is like that guy's just a straight up baller. Like, yeah, absolutely. Just... So hope, I, look, here's my take from this. I really hope Terrell Pryor finds another team. Fair play to Cleveland for. Going with the experiment, but like mm-hmm. he, he deserves better. No, uh, Fitz. I was going to say this is this is an interesting one because they're kind of in two different spots. Which team is a tougher road to relevance, the Browns or the Finns? I personally <laughs> probably the Browns because the Miami Dolphins are kind of they're a very heavily invested team already. They're very heavily invested in what they already have. They've already paid Ryan Tannehill. They have they already gave Sue a bunch of money. And while their offense has some younger pieces, it also has a few older pieces who are. Ferdinand as well. We've kind of, we've kind of seen what they are. Like even their most like explosive player, Jarvis Landry, is kind of limited. Really, you really have to make a lot of stunts and stuff to get the best out of them. So when you're looking at this Miami team, you're looking at a team that has enough pieces that will be difficult to get out of the hole that they've dug themselves. Like, see, for example, the extension that they gave Cameron Wake in the offseason. Cleveland Browns have like the Browns have gone definitively and totally for this money ball approach, which is really just a classic accumulate picks, pick loads of young players, see what comes out of it. And obviously it's not going very well this year, but I don't think anyone expected to. So I think that approach has worked in the past for certain teams. So if I was to put money on it, probably the Browns. For for very similar reasons I'd be I'd be thinking the same way. Mostly just that like they've gathered up lots of picks. They're probably gonna get a few more picks before the end of it all. Uh Whereas the Dolphins, like, probably a good half their cap is gone on four players who are like, not on the up anymore, I wouldn't say. Yeah, that was that was not fun. But wait, there's more. Baltimore at Jacksonville, 19-17. to 17. This was a tough watch. Jacksonville, 216 yards of offense. Baltimore, 280 yards of offense. Five interceptions thrown, two touchdowns thrown. 
Blake Bortles ties with TJ Yeldon for 17 yards rushing, except he did it on half the number of carries. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh god, 54 yard field goal from the douche Justin Tucker with 102 remaining to win the game. Jacks had loaded chances to to win here. They forced three turnovers in quarter four, but Bortles fucked it up throwing interceptions. Uh, Coach Bradley is now on a very hot seat. Uh, Flacco. Flacco is probably the only semi-bright point in this. He had 21 consecutive passes that were made. Uh, but even at that, like he had like 230 total yards. So like, he had 21 really short, really simple passes made. I suppose I'll go to Harry on uh, this one. Does Bradley last the season? Hey, can I just pick up on something? I just want to point out that you said that the bright spot of this game was a quarterback who had less than 10 yards per completion and threw two picks and no touchdowns. Yes. And you're not wrong. Yeah. Grim. It's horrifying, isn't it? Grim. Uh, does Gus Bradley last? Gus Bradley last another two games will be amazed. Yeah, um, is look, he like London been, firing? Yeah, if they lose, yeah, absolutely. They've got they've There's, got they've got a mixed bag coming up, right? So they've got four very winnable games with them four tough games because they've got like Colts, Bears, Raiders, Titans are ones that they could compete in. I think potentially, right? Mm. They've also got Chiefs, Texans, Broncos, Vikings, which I think are ones that they will not deal well with. Like, you know. While it seems terrible, then then getting to like if they won four of those and they were four and three or something, maybe wouldn't look so bad. But fuck me, I, I think look, Bradley's had so much rope at this point. Um, it's and they've been very patient with him in credit because that's what you have to do. But at a certain point, you've got to look at it like they keep bringing in all these young pieces, these old pieces, and they're not. Why is it they they bring in all this talent and it consistently underperforms? And at the end of the day, after quite a few seasons, that. You have got to look at the coaching and you have got to say, right, this is the problem. And they have to look elsewhere. Brought the team as far as he can bring it, which is like not very far. It looks like they're regressing (laughs) this season. They look way worse than they did last season. So, yeah. He's like like the Euroshop version of Fox. Where like you bring him in to get you all the way up to four wins, yeah. and then you have to swap to someone else. Yeah, like that's yeah, that elusive other win. But yeah, this is a team that had a whole lot of promise, a whole lot of hype behind it that we bought into, being like, "Oh, this is very exciting. Look at the Jaguars; they might be competitive this year." And uh, no, they are actually still the Jags, still awful. So yeah, I think Bradley no way lasts the season. A loss in London, and he might not make the plane home. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, Ronan, Raven's schedule is a bit of a mixed bag again. They've got some winnable games, Browns, uh, Dolphins, stuff like that. But then they've also got, you know, Steelers twice, Eagles, Pats, Bengals, like tough games up there. This is a 3-0 and team, which I think we're all surprised to see at 3-0. and And I think we'd probably all look at it as being the worst of the 3-0 and teams. Like, what do you think is a realistic outcome for them, given they're also in a division with the Steelers and the Bengals, who we kind of rate relatively highly as well? Well, I think... The Ravens are kind of like what we expected, which is not really knowing what to expect. This was a team that had probably the, <laughs> the widest... They're kind of like we expected. I have no idea. <laughs> well, like the range of possibilities that people had for the Ravens in preseason was probably the widest of any team. Like obviously they have a good coach. They obviously have a good organization. There's no reason to believe that there's any organizational problem. You look at the talent, you're like, eh, there's a lot of older pieces there. There's a lot of pieces that really shouldn't make sense. You then look at how they perform, like they scrape a win against the Bills, they scrape a win against the Browns, well, yeah, they scrape a win against the Browns and a comeback, they scrape a win against the Jaguars, but this is kind of like often what we've thought of when we think about these uh, 
you know, Ravens teams. They're like a knockoff version of the actual elite teams that they've had in the past in the sense that they don't win in a nice way. They win in ugly ways. They win doing whatever is necessary to win. And considering that their schedule has a lot of softness until they get into the latter half of the season where they face the Patriots and the Eagles and then they have that doubleheader at the end with the Steelers and Bengals, I think this is a team that realistically could make the playoffs. Wins do matter, and they're already one game up over Pittsburgh. They're already uh, two games up over Cincinnati, I believe. Hmm. So, yeah, I, I think they could make the playoffs. Do I think they deserve to? Do I think they're definitely going to? No. But, you know, they have an elite quarterback. Their defense looks to be back on form. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. He just tried to sneak that in under the wire. They have a what now? They have an elite quarterback, yeah. <laughs> Nothing says at least like an O touchdown, two interception game against Jacksonville, right? Yeah. Screams okay. elite. Look, he's come off like a season-ending injury and he has looked pretty good coming back. And I think no matter what you think about Joe Flacco in terms of his demeanor and all that, there's no denying that he's been an incredibly successful quarterback. And when you have him as your quarterback, you always have a good chance of winning. To me, he's like, you know, he's, he's not like Ben Roethlisberger. He doesn't change the game for you. Uh, except in the playoffs occasionally. He's kind of like he's very much in that Eli Manning range and you know, I think that I think those players can be generally considered elite. They'll definitely be contenders for the Hall of Fame. So excluding the definition hang, of elite. Hang, 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 hang. Did you say Joe Flacco will be a contender for the Hall of Fame? He has a court he has <clears throat> he has a Super Bowl ring. Trent Dilfer has a Super Bowl ring. If he wins another Super Bowl ring, which I think is possible, then he'll definitely probably get in because Eli will get in I don't know uh, but I think even now he, he has a chance certainly I, I wouldn't say so Eli okay. Eli beat the best team in the modern era of the NFL to get none of his rings that's why Eli is probably going to go to the Hall of Fame and also the Manning family clearly like have dirt on the NFL oh yeah so. Archie Archie will go breaking legs like if they don't uh... I think it speaks testament to the game that we're discussing Joe Flacco's eliteness rather than anything about the team <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think it speaks to your lack of knowledge about the the, the roster that we're discussing Joe Flacco's eliteness to try and fill time? Well, no. Like, the pieces there are just all, like, solid pieces that you wouldn't really consider that noteworthy. Like, basically, they're probably not the same level that we had those famous team, like, those famous defenses. But, yeah, the Ravens, they're good. But maybe it's hard to tell because they play bad teams. But they win, and that's good. So, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I love it. I love it. The Ravens are the Tim Tebow of the NFL. All they do is win. <laughs> no matter what, what, what. I, I'm, I'm just so confused by the Ravens. I don't know what to say. Mm. Right. Uh, we're going to move on to some questions from the listeners. Yeah, so we've got a couple of questions in. Some of them we dealt with in the news. Some of them we're going to save for later on because we're running a bit low on time. Uh, yeah, so we'll go to this one from Mike. It says, uh, what were the adjustments for Casey's defense over the last three weeks? It looked awful in week one, but they tore it up on Sunday. Um, yeah, I suppose they looked much better. Uh, to be honest, I think they, their defense looked quite good against Houston as well. Uh, I think they were just a slow start in week one rather than anything massive. Against... This weekend they looked particularly strong, but I think a section of that is just based on they were able to they were able to rush an awful lot with only three, like only push three and then push a lot of men back into coverage. That's why while we had six interceptions, we had zero sacks. Uh, although watching back over some of the coverage, we were awfully close to a load of sacks with only three, which makes me worry 
heavily for that line in in uh, in, in New York or New Jersey. Um, I think Eric Berry settled back in. I think he was probably a little bit shaky, having missed most, like pretty much all the all the preseason. Uh, so that looks fine. The D line rotation was new because they were now going to be cycling in Chris Jones and stuff, but they seem to have gotten used to that and gone into the swing of things. Um, yeah, like we've historically always started a little bit slow. Uh, I think that looked good last week. We looked good two weeks ago. Just the offense needs to kick up a gear again. Uh, but yeah, even the offense, I was relatively happy with the last day. But yeah, I think it's mostly just being able to get pressure, pushing three or four up instead of having to send a lot of people up there. And obviously, uh, Peters looks like a fucking baller. Uh, you guys would add anything in? Yeah, I think uh, I think it was a really really well executed plan. They knew what the Jets were going to do, and they stuck to it. And I think um, one of the things that changes, I think, this is an effect of having running less blitzes and not knowing they have the quality up front to create pressure and mismatches. Is uh, part of the problem where where the Chiefs have had problems is leaving cornerbacks in isolation a lot of the time, and I think we saw a lot less of that and a lot more cover too because they knew they were going to be dealing with two big vertical threat receivers, and I think they were able to really successfully nullify that threat in the same way that we saw, for example, New England do against Houston with DeAndre Hopkins did the same thing to uh, to Decker and Marshall uh, for for pretty much the entire game. So yeah, I think it was just it was a really smart uh, game plan from Kansas City that was helped by inept quarterbacking. But ultimately, yeah, it was just one of those times of, yeah, we, we have a scheme here to take away your weapons. We're going to adapt the scheme. We've done things in the past that have got us burned, and we're not going to do them again, which is good. Uh, like I've, heard, see. I've heard a lot of people complain about one of their watch, kind of casual watchers, saying, um, like, a lot of Bob Sutton's defensive involved, the, the corners kind of playing off and just kind of rotating entirely between, like, they'll play mad in one or two spots, but then they'll play, like, five yards off, and they're like, well, why aren't we getting up in there and stopping them? But when it's something like this where you're only pushing three up and you're bringing a lot into the back end, it's all about like essentially flaring out and hiding where your protection patterns are. Uh, so it pisses off a lot of casual fans, but I think that works quite well. Uh, anything yourself, Fitz? Um, no, like I think I think you covered it pretty pretty comprehensively there. Um, <laughs> and I think we always we always thought that the Casey defense was better than looked in those first few weeks, and we'll see if they can continue that. Obviously, you know, still waiting to see if Justin Houston be back and how that will affect him in the latter half of the season, especially if these younger pieces actually start establishing themselves as starters. Oh, of course. We'll, we'll see. Yeah, like that. Like that's the thing. Is it like the thing I'm most most excited about is it's happened so far without having our best defensive player on the field uh, and probably our best offensive player on the field. So that's a uh, that'll be interesting to see. Um, we've got another question in here. This one comes from Sean. He says, "Is it too early to call Goff a bust?" Uh, obviously, he's. First overall pick, but he's sat there and he can't get past Case Keenan on a depth chart. Uh, it's not like the LA Rams offense is fucking lighting it up. Like they scored their first touchdowns this weekend. Uh, <laughs> what was it? They the, the stat I loved was through two weeks of the season, the LA Rams have more wins than touchdowns, uh, <laughs> which is just really really worrying to hear. So I suppose, like, do we think we can call the kid a bust already? Like, I I'd be of the opinion that it's too early. That sometimes you do need to sit players, sometimes you need to figure them out, let them learn a bit. But a case Keenan's been dog shit. If you can't get past him, like is 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 this that he's not good enough to get past him, or the organization have invested in him and they don't want to put him into a non-perfect scenario and ruin him as the face of their franchise in LA? Well, I think if they want to put him into a perfect scenario, they're probably never going to play him at least as long as <laughs> he's going to trade him yeah. to like the Broncos. Yeah, like I, I understand why this is a question. As in, it is concerning when you can't beat out Case Keenum full stop. 
Um, but like three games is, is crazy early to call somebody a bust. Like I think we knew that Goff was a guy who hadn't spent a huge amount of time playing a pro-style offense. Was obviously going to need some time to adapt. With the O-line looking pretty wobbly as well, I can understand the concern of not wanting to send him out before he's ready and getting him absolutely murdered. So, yeah, I do think it's too early. I think we will probably still see him take over a starter at some point this season, unless Keenum significantly improves his level of play. He was, like, borderline competent today, which was by far his best showing for the uh, first three weeks. So, yeah, definitely way too early to ride off golf. Obviously disappointing for the fans who were expecting him to come in and be that face of the franchise, be that savior. But uh, let's, you know, let's... Reserve judgment for now, and in a very unconventional way, I think, say that LA might be doing something smart rather than trying to cover up a huge mistake. Could be. Yeah. What about yourself, Fitz? What do you reckon? Well, I think there's one mitigating factor, which is the coaching staff. Like, if you compare it to the Wentz situation, like, the head coach is a former quarterback, the offensive coordinator is a, uh, is a former quarterback in Philadelphia. When you look at the Rams offense, Rob Barras, like, he's an up-and-comer, but he isn't really considered like a player's player. He hasn't really proven himself in any way. And Jeff Fisher has always been known as a defensive coach. So when I think, when I look at the, like what, what is the infrastructure there to get a young passer who may not be as fully aware or as fully, you know, uh, involved in a pro style offense, those aren't the type of coaches that I would see as being the best place to actually make that transition happen quickly. So I think in that context, it makes sense that a bit of time has been taken and it might take a bit longer for him to come along than it might have, in a more, you know, amenable situation to quarterback training happen haven't happened in the offseason. Jeff enough. Fisher sucks. That's <laughs> <laughs> some seven and nine bullshit. Fuck Jeff Fisher. <laughs> oh boy. Um yeah, like we've got a couple more questions, but because we're a bit pressed for time, we'll save a few for next week. Uh, like I say, I always keep them coming in. If like we're probably going to get somebody at some point, we're just going to have to cut a section and just do here's our backlog. Here's a backlog of questions that we meant to get to. But uh, yeah. Uh, thanks very much. We're going to swing on to uh, our picks for next week. Okay, guys. Uh, as normal, uh, we'll go for like keep it to a line or two, and then if we've got a kind of a disagreement, which I don't think we've got too many of this year, uh, this week, uh, we'll have a quick word about it. So Miami at Cincinnati is going to kick us off. All of us have taken Cincinnati in this game. Harry, why is that? Um, have you seen Miami play recently? Like Cincinnati, yeah, they're disappointed this week. They're still a good team. Miami are almost unfathomably bad this season, so I mean, you really have to favour Cincinnati at home against a really bad team. No, of course, of course. Uh, Indianapolis at Jacksonville. This is the first of the London games this year. Uh, I've taken Indianapolis. Harry's taken Indianapolis. Fitz has taken Jacks, and he said Jacks or Gus is gone. Uh, okay, Harry, why Indianapolis? Uh, I just like Indianapolis look messy. And, like, they don't have a plan, but Jacksonville have just looked wretched this year. And when you're like, you're coming out of another, just a string of really poor performances, you're going away to play in, in Wembley, it's not a good spot to be in, whereas the Colts, I think, are coming off showing a bit of toughness this week, um, showing that Luck can still just about manage to get it done, even when everything is falling apart around him against a weak opponent. This is a weak opponent, Um and this is, a, in theory, again, this is where Jacksonville's high-powered offense should come into effect, but that just hasn't appeared in any game this season, and I fail to see why it's suddenly going to magically appear against the Colts. I think it's going to be an ugly game, I think it's going to be a lot of big plays, but an awful lot of punts and three and outs, but Indianapolis should have enough quality, to, well, 
slightly more quality to edge it in the end. Should be should be good uh, good fun in the stadium at that. Uh, what about yourself, Fitz? What do you reckon, Jacksonville? Is it just because Bradley's going to lose his job otherwise? Well, yeah, like obviously he's a former Seahawks coach, so a bit of a soft spot there. But no, like I think this is a must-win game for Jacksonville, and I think the talent level will show through eventually against the Indianapolis team. Like the games that they've lost so far have been against teams who I would consider to be a stripe above Indianapolis, even though Indianapolis managed to beat San Diego. It's kind of like, yeah, it's kind of cheat mode against San Diego at this point. They keep losing players every five seconds. Uh, And also San Diego, a bit inconsistent. But I think Jacksonville should have it. Like, I think this is the kind of game where they'll show a bit more backbone. And as long as they can get to Andrew Luck a sufficient number of times, they should have enough to overcome what is a pretty piss-poor defense. So, yeah, like on... Oh, fair enough. I think you guys, you guys are right there. I'm just again favoring Indianapolis because it's essentially it's a way for both of them, and I think Indianapolis have more confidence at the moment than Jacksonville, who I think are going to be scrambling a little bit, and especially when you're going that far away uh, to, to to play, uh, you kind of need to have your your coaching staff on point and everything flying fairly well for you. So on that basis, I'm going to go with Indy. Buffalo at New England. Quick question for this one. Uh, who's starting a quarterback? I have absolutely no idea. It might be Garoppolo. It might be Brissett. It might be Bill Belichick. I... It could be Bill Belichick. I'm still taking New England. Harry's still taking New England. And Fitz is still taking New England. I, I, I have got the proviso there that if we have a quarterback... <coughs> no, no, no. Julian Edelman, Edelman is good enough. Don't worry about it. Have you seen Julian Edelman's college tape? Yeah. If Terrell Pryor can be... <laughs> Terrell Pryor is a lot larger than Julian Edelman and has also been an NFL quarterback. I mean, I love Jules to bits, but I wouldn't want to see him play a full game at QB. Hmm. Although it would be hilarious. Just loads, of, just loads of wildcats. To be honest, Buffalo have looked dog shit like so. Except against Arizona. Yeah. But mm. it would make sense for them to look great against Arizona and then face plant in Foxborough. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. If this was in Orchard Park, I might be a bit more concerned given given Rex Ryan. But like, yeah, in Foxborough, I think we'll, we'll, we should be okay. Yeah, fair enough. Next game, Tennessee at Houston. We've taken Houston across the board. Fitz, why have we all taken Houston? Because they're a better team, and while Houston can lose to good teams, they definitely are better than bad to mediocre teams, which Tennessee is definitely in that category. Detroit at Chicago, we're all taking Detroit because the Bears are shit. Detroit, <laughs> Detroit are fair shit as well, but Chicago are fair shitter. Uh, that's, that's all we need on that one. Carolina, Atlanta, we're all taking Carolina. Why is this, Harry? I think Carolina's defense is good enough to stop Atlanta being able to do what they did to the Saints or the Raiders. Uh, at some point, Carolina's quality is going to show through. They'll probably this week be like, oh yeah, it might actually be a good idea to target Calvin Benjamin more than once. Uh, so yeah, I think Carolina should just be good enough to to gut this one out. Although, obviously last time they played, that didn't happen. Mm, we'll see how that goes. Seattle at the New York Jets. Uh, taking Seattle. I've got Seattle with a couple of question marks, mostly because it's like, I don't know, he's going to start a quarterback. Uh, I presume Christine Michael's going to be the starting running back. So that gives me happiness enough why are we all taking Seattle there Fitz well uh, it's almost a reaction to the last week New York Jets looked terrible Seahawks looked like they could get back into form oh shit that it, means it, the Giants are, or the Jets are going to win doesn't it yeah probably but mm. like it depends if if enough nanobubbles have been spread all over Russell Wilson's legs and he can actually play then Seahawks have a chance but I don't think this is, this is no way a certain game and you know the Jets could easily win especially since they're at home no, fair enough. Next game, Oakland at Baltimore. Uh, I've taken Oakland. Harry's taken Baltimore with a sad face, and Fitz has taken Baltimore. Uh, I suppose, Harry, you've got a sad face on yours. Why Baltimore? I don't want to pick Baltimore. 
Um, they're, they're just an ugly team this year. They are not a good team. They keep grinding out results against bad opponents. The problem is, is that this is at home against a Oakland team that is just all over the shop defensively. Baltimore are going to grind out like some kind of hideous 14-12 to 12 win because their defense is probably good enough to cause some turnovers and stop the run and Oakland's defense just isn't showing up this season. Yeah, see my reason for Oakland is Oakland have a terrible defense but they have a very fun and exciting offense. Uh, Baltimore... My my rationale with them last week and stuff was that their defense was looking better, and then I watched that game at Jacksonville, and they were fucking dog shit, like all over the shop dog shit. <clears throat> there was nothing going there. So what I reckon is we're going to see Oakland be able to outscore Baltimore in what will be a mediocre and incredibly boring game to watch. Uh, so avoid it like the plague, but uh, you know unless you're an Oakland fan. Mm. Uh, and I'll, I suppose there's there's a bit of crossover there because Oakland fans are known for for stabbing people, and Baltimore players are known for stabbing it's people. True, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe maybe they, maybe they'll just have a tie. <laughs> they'll all sit down and think about what they've done. Uh, Cle- <laughs> Cleveland at uh, the racists. Uh, we've all taken the racists here. I was so close to taking Cleveland. I'm so tempted to still just I was something like. Trial Pryor comes out, throws 500 yards, catches 200 of them himself. Like, yeah, but he's not going to start. <laughs> that's the problem. Yeah, I just, I if they were doing, if they were doing it in, um, in like series, I think I'd be there. But because they're doing it like every couple of every couple of plays, they're just swapping who the quarterback is. I just, I can't abide by that at all. I've gone for Washington. Everyone's gone for Washington. Harry, why are we going Washington? Because as much as you all hate them as goose, um, as much as they are wobbly they're getting into high scoring error filled games and we know what happens to Cleveland in high scoring error filled games they miss kicks yeah, in they the fourth miss, quarter exactly. they miss kicks in the fourth quarter it's going to be uh, this is going to be this is going to be an exciting game I think bizarrely despite the relative quality of two teams because both their defences are rubbish and yeah I think Washington are going to win it on like a kick in the fourth quarter or something like that miss yeah. kick sorry in the fourth quarter yeah it's going to be ugh. Uh, Denver at uh, Tampa Bay we've all taken Denver uh, Fitz why are we taking Denver? Because uh, Denver look good, and Trevor Simeon can throw the ball, apparently. Well, at least based on last week. Against a decent defense in Cincinnati. Yeah. Tampa Bay look higgledy-piggledy up and down, but I don't think their ups are good enough to beat a good Denver team. No, of course. And like I said last week, it's uh, famous Jameis don't like pressure, and Denver bring nothing but pressure. Like uh, Next one that we, uh, that we disagree on, there's only four of them this week, Uh LA at Arizona. I've gone Arizona. Fitz has gone Arizona. Harry has gone for LA. Uh, Fitz, why Arizona? Because they're a better team than LA. Even though, like, they had a bad game last week. I expect them at home to come around. Bruce Arians is a good coach, despite, you know, uh, obviously having to hate him because Seahawks. But, no, yeah, they're a better team. They should win. But, you know, L.A., bullshit. Ugh. <laughs> Harry, why are you picking 7-9 bullshit? Yeah I'd, like, yeah, I'd like to point out that my pick was not L.A. My pick is 7-9 bullshit. And my 7-9 bullshit thing to happen is for exactly the reason Ronan said, because Arizona are a better team in every conceivable way, L.A. will go and beat them on the road. And, look, this is just my L.A. Rams pick. This is my random pick. Mm. I have no particular reason. I just have a feeling that LA will beat Arizona in Glendale. Yeah, I think Arizona... The, the, there's there's a chance for LA in this thing. Arizona hit them hard, injure Case Keenum, 
They don't bring out Jared Goff. They bring out their other backup quarterback who then plays lights out and Jared Goff never sees the light today and is traded in his third year to become a career backup in Tennessee. Um, that's the only way they win. But yeah, I think Arizona just going to... They were shite last week. They'll be better this week. Uh, they've got the best running back in the league. So I always going to try and pick them. Uh, especially against fucking LA. Like they're shite. Um, <laughs> Come on, baby. Dallas at San Francisco. We've all taken Dallas across the board. Harry, why Dallas? Because San Francisco aren't very good. And Dallas look okay. And Blaine Gabbert should not be in the league. And Chip Kelly's an idiot. And do I need to go on? Like, no. They got dismantled by a one-legged QB. And there's nobody back up for three quarters. <laughs> like, they are... Awful, and like, they're going to lose. What does it? What does it mean for Kaepernick to be sat there in a game like that, and he can't be put in? Chip Kelly's a racist. Like I think we're get, they're going to have to at least try it at some point, especially if this game starts getting out of hand. Yeah. Do you remember when like Dallas and San Francisco? Well, I don't remember because it was a fetus. Dallas and San Francisco was like an important game. Oh yeah, back in the good old days, whenever we weren't born and yeah. we hadn't ruined our parents' lives. <laughs> We've actually this one was uh, this one was mislabeled. We've actually got a disagreement on this one. New Orleans at San Diego. San Diego for me. San Diego for Harry. New Orleans for Fitz. Uh, suppose yeah, San Diego. They still look grand. Um, like they've got some offense, but literally as long as they've got eleven people to turn up on offense, they'll be able to score against New Orleans, right? <laughs> so that's all they really need. Defensively, they're better than New Orleans are relative to the strength. So I think neither have a great defense. Uh, they both have pretty good offenses. I think San Diego, like, just about edge it. Like, this New Orleans team, while they're fun to watch, are, like, they are not a good team. Like, these are two teams that I don't think anyone's expecting to be of interest by the end of the season. Um, but they'll make some fun fireworks. Meaningless fireworks, basically. And I think New Orleans, like, it's one of, it's one of the, you know, half of one, half of the other, uh, in a shootout, any team can win, and this time I'm going to coin flip for New Orleans, even though they're away from home. Fair enough, fair enough. We've got a, another game. My opinion doesn't matter. Oh, well, do you add anything in? Yeah, this is a time zone pick. Literally. It's oh, time zone pick. yeah, of course. Go to the West Coast, coming off a Monday night game, that's a recipe mm. to lose. Someone, someone was saying this when you were saying that, about the Arizona, they always lose when they go east. And that was why, like... Well, apparently, it, it, apparently, it is harder apparently to fly east than west. The theory Phil Baroni had about why Japanese mixed martial artists used to struggle in America, as opposed to the fact they were on steroids in Japan. But whatever. KC at Pittsburgh. Uh, Harry's taking Pittsburgh. Fitz taking Pittsburgh. I've taken KC. Uh, who, who who wants to explain why Pittsburgh are a better team? If they can beat you with Landry Jones, <laughs> they can beat you without Landry Jones. Like Le'Veon Bell is going to be back. Uh, I think Pittsburgh are going to want to prove a point after a down game. Uh, like we've seen them do in the past, they tend not they tend to rebound from issues like they had this week. Um, I think Casey are still a good team, but I think offensively they're still figuring it out. Obviously, the health of Pittsburgh's defense is going to have a fact uh, a factor on this. If we see Shazier and Jones and so on are still limited, then yeah, Casey have a much better chance. But right now, I just think, particularly being in Pittsburgh, the Steelers just have a little too much power when that offense gets clicking. The, the, so Casey won't be able to keep up even though their defence will probably stop Pittsburgh from being as devastating as we've mm. seen them be able to be no of course like uh, Barashal is one homer uh, two the type of stuff you saw from the Philadelphia Eagles against Pittsburgh previously are very similar to a lot of stuff that we do offensively as you can imagine being the their OC came from Andy Reid's system last year and also defensively 
what we were doing against the Jets is very similar to how we'd be playing against a Ben Roethlisberger type who likes to overplay his hand in the pocket, try to keep plays going and take shots further downfield. So I think that system will work quite nicely. There is the fact that we have the option and I think we might be taking it this week of bringing back Jamal Charles. The hope was that we'd leave him until after week five and because we have our bye week the week after. But given that Spencer Ware didn't really turn up all that much in the last game, I think there's a stronger chance we bring back JC a game early. Uh, he's ready to go. Apparently he's been ready for three weeks. What they've been doing is doing... Uh, muscle building exercises around the legs to try and ensure he was kind of more solid for the for the year. But yeah, like totally could see Pittsburgh winning this. I just think KC are in the right spot now that if they learn from what happened last week and they can hit them exactly that way, they can take the edge off Pittsburgh. But this is one that I had expected us to lose beforehand. I'm just feeling a little bit more positive now. And finally, New York Giants at Minnesota Vikings. Uh, I've gone Minnesota. Harry's gone Minnesota. Fitz has gone Minnesota. Why have you gone Minnesota, Fitz? One thing, Harry's going to enjoy this game because Manning's going to end up on his face many, many, many times, on his ass many times more, and he shall have that perplexed look of a, you know, child. Manning face. <laughs> Who has been beaten for, for too long. No, like... Well, Adrian Peterson yeah. isn't even playing, dude. Like, yeah, Minnesota have beaten some good teams, some very good teams, by using defense. I think the New York Giants have looked better this season, but, you know, I think as last as this week showed, they can definitely be beaten. I think Minnesota have shown enough that we should have taken them. Yeah, Eli's faced Minnesota Vikings eight times. In those games, he's thrown five touchdowns and 14 interceptions. And of those interceptions, five have been returned for touchdowns. I think you can see a few more of those. Uh, so he's, he's thrown as many... Pick six interceptions as he has touchdowns against the uh, the Minnesota Vikings in his entire career. So I think, yes, we'll probably see at least two of those this time around. Yeah, so that'll be interesting. We'll see we go. We did not do well last week on our picks. We got them all entirely wrong. Uh, well, nearly. We got like five and eight for the normal games or something. I think we nailed a couple of hero picks in there to pull it back. We got all the obvious ones really wrong. Like, oh, yeah. I, I called Minnesota and Atlanta, and I know Fitz called New England, but uh, mm. I think you got one or two, but God, did we get everything else completely wrong? Oh, yeah. Well, that's why I stayed away. Like, normally, normally we put on like, you know, three or four quid and a accumulator every week. I stayed the fuck away you, from you, last You don't week. want to know how, how much money I lost in Arizona. <laughs> that's the only reason Arizona lost, because I fucking bet. If I got on bet on somebody else, they'd have lost. And Arizona would have won by 40. So I'm really sorry, Cardinals fans. That's oh, my luck. My. But yeah, so any crack then for the rest of the week, lads? Any any plans? Nothing. Well, laughing at the English England national team. Yes, oh, yeah. Sam is gone as of, as of uh, this afternoon. So what was it? It was about like buying interests in players or something? So there's a... A system that is technically outlawed in football that used to happen. I think it's sort of broken to England with the uh, Carlos Tevez Javier Mascherano deal to West Ham, uh, where basically an agent will own the rights of a player as an individual. So rather than negotiating with the player and their agent as a representative of the player, you're actually negotiating with the agent as an owner of a player. And these agents were like part of big companies that effectively owned players, okay. and were and then teams would like basically loan them from the agent and from his agency to play for them but wouldn't actually properly own them it was really weird it's been done away with and um, it was a video sting where uh, Fat Sam was caught uh, talking about how to get around these rules and how much it costs to get around them now what's interesting is he also said a lot of extremely embarrassing things about the England national team and about the FA all of which are completely true absolutely true about why the FA are terrible and why the English national football team is awful and will be awful for a long time it's interesting that he had that insight into like why the team was bad and that's sort of the guy you want oh maybe he can fix that 
but now he's, he just can't go near it. Like, yeah, now he's been he's, <laughs> he's left by mutual consent in inverted commas uh, after yeah, basically saying here's how you get around player ownership rules. <laughs> I'll empower you, boys. Oh, long may it last. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've got nothing nothing wild planned myself now. Uh, staying indoors, as you mentioned. Yeah, staying staying indoors on Sunday. Well, going for a run in the morning and then staying indoors from early on. Just come out, just come over. However, after you run, we'll have beers all day. What trouble? Ah, might have a look now and see. Uh, I'll take Monday off. We'll make, a, we'll make a plan. We'll make a plan. I think there's, there's. We were thinking about taking the Tuesday off after Halloween, so we could do actual Halloween stuff as well. Oh yeah, yeah, that'd be good fun. That'd be mm. good fun. Now. And then you get to get a three day week afterwards, which is pretty sweet. Always, always <laughs> nice. But yeah, sure, we'll have a look. Sure, lads, it's been great chatting to you. Thanks to everyone for listening, for sending questions and stuff like that. Like I say, you can get us on Twitter at, uh, at AFQ Podcast. Get us on Gmail at AFQ Podcast at, at gmail.com. Oh, did I tell you, I got us two more bots. I'm really good at this Twitter Connor, stuff. I'm... <laughs> I didn't know who the person was because I had a real person name, so I clicked on it and the first. The first and only post I saw was a post about their fanny, so I turned it off and was like, that's definitely a bot. Like, I don't Connor, know, maybe, Connor maybe will set up a blind date and then just be like a computer bot. Yeah. <laughs> I met this great girl on Twitter. She looks a little bit like Masingo from the original Pokemon. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, we might, we might, I might need a few tips about how Twitter works. I, I, I say, I say bringing yeah. back the in-game live tweets might not be the worst place to start. Yeah, we could probably do that. Actually, yeah, fuck it, we'll start doing that. Yeah, uh, We'll target that this week. Enjoy, folks. We're going to start trying to tweet. So all of us will tweet at different times from the UK. <laughs> it's going to be a mess. Oh, it'll be fantastic. You can tell uh, which ones, uh, who's who's by how drunk they are, who's, mm. who's drunk for earliest in the night, and who's That's still excellent. standing at the end. Excellent. Like I said, hit us up if you've got any questions or comments or stuff. Uh, and yeah, we'll catch you all next week. See you later. Bye.